ridiculous. Can we do that again? Yeah, that, was, that was really good. That was really good. We should okay, keep good. that one. That was really good. All right. Welcome. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know. Patrick's cracking up, so it must be good. <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome hilarious. to Hollywood. No. Oh, shit. Nope. Reverse. <laughs> Welcome to my weird little podcast. Welcome to my weird little podcast where we talk about all things weird. Uh, tonight, weird. Uh, our yeah. episode, tonight's episode <laughs> is the one where Johnny goes missing. Uh, yes. <laughs> so you want me to get into that? that. No. It, is, it is sad. Oh, Sorry. no. I, is the way I responded. No, it is. Terribly sad. Yeah. Honey gosh. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, yeah. Is that what the yeah. name of the episode is? is that, well, uh, yeah. A bit. Is that, oh, are you, but you're sharing something too, right, Tia? Yeah. No? I'm going to talk about the invention of the Amber Alert and right, a little right, right. bit about Skylar's Law. Which, okay. Um, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but I, you will by the end of the episode. Uh, do you want me to start talking about? Yeah. Johnny yeah. Then? You, okay. you should go first, and then I'll go second. Yeah. That's I think chronological. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So, um, yes, I'm talking about the disappearance of Johnny. Gosh. G-O-S-C-H, but it is pronounced gosh. Um, so just some basic info to start about Johnny. Uh, his full name is John David Gosh. He was born November 12, 1969. Um, he lived with his parents in West Des Moines, Iowa, and he was a paper boy. And at 12 years old, he vanished without a trace in the early morning hours of Sunday, September 5th, 1982. He disappeared between the hours of 6 and 7 in the morning. And um, there's a lot of questions, obviously, surrounding his case. Uh, mainly, the, the number one question is, what really happened to him? Was he kidnapped? Big question marks. Um, but as of 2021, as of today, no arrests have been made. And the case is now considered cold, but still open. Johnny has been missing for 39 years and 15 days. That's a long time to be missing. Um, yeah. And... Well. Unfortunately, he's not the only one. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's there's people all over the world missing. But just for what the purpose of Johnny's story, there's a couple more boys that went missing around his same age. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But, um, you know, that's what I'm focusing on right now is his story. So, um so I said, you know, he disappeared on Sunday, September 5th, 1982. So that was Labor Day weekend. And this was in the suburb of West Des Moines, Iowa. 
So I said Johnny was a paper boy. He left his house just after dawn to start up the paper route delivery through his neighborhood. And he was usually accompanied by his dad. But on this occasion, he went solo. But he did take with them uh, the family dog, whose name was Gretchen. And she was a miniature Dashen. Da- Dashen? Am I saying that right? I don't God, dog breeds. Is that a, um, is that a wiener dog? What is that? I, Dashen? Um, yes, it is wiener dog. <laughs> oh. Yes. But um, some hardcore protection there. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, super cute. <laughs> um, no, yeah, but I, I, but I maybe not. that's an alternative to bringing your dad, but yeah. <laughs> it's true. But he did take Gretchen, mm-hmm. and he took his red wagon. Uh, you guys know, like, the classic pull-along little wagons that we had yeah. from our Yeah, I, told, I had one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so that one, basically, that's that's what he used to deliver his papers with. This is so cute, but it's, yes. like, breaking my heart because I know yeah. how this ends. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's terrible. Um. So he he left with those things to um, go collect the newspapers at the corner pickup spot. And the corner pickup spot was actually the last sighting of Johnny ever. And that was corroborated by multiple witnesses. Um, So let's see. A couple of... Johnny's neighbors said that they observed him talking to a strange man with a stocky build in a blue two-toned Ford Fairmont car with Nebraska plates. Since the neighbors were observing him from afar, they didn't know what was being discussed between Johnny and the unknown man. When Johnny started to head back home, the neighbor noticed another man following Johnny. Um, but despite the neighbors noticing, they didn't do or say anything about it. Um, you know, so that, that's something, but Johnny's parents, uh, John and Noreen Gosh began receiving complaint phone calls from neighbors along his route saying their papers were never delivered. So his father, John, went to look around the neighborhood for him around six in the morning and immediately he found Johnny's red wagon full of newspapers about two blocks from their home Uh, without Johnny and the dog, of course, I think had already made it home by this point. Um, So he found the wagon right away. So, I mean, that's, you know, a big clue, obviously something's really wrong. Um, But, They then contacted the West Des Moines Police Department to report his disappearance. And this is where things got really hard for his parents, especially his mother, um, because when they reported it at that time in 1982, the law was such that Johnny, even though he was a child, you know, 12 years old, He couldn't be considered a missing person until 72 hours had passed. So that's quite a long time, especially for a 12-year-old, you know, 72 hours. I mean, anything could happen in that time period, you know. The 
yeah, I mean, the, the captors have a lot of time to do whatever they want. You know, he could already be dead. I mean, who knows? Who knows what or, could happen? But or like so, several states over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He could be in another country. I mean, it doesn't, who knows? So Noreen assert, or sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> Noreen asserts that the police didn't arrive to take her report for 45 minutes. So that's, that's a long time too. I mean, I don't know if you've ever called the police for anything, but yes, they do typically, if it's not an emergency, take a while to arrive to you. Um, but you know, for, for a mother that's completely frantic, yeah, 45 minutes is, you know, an eternity. So she felt heavily that these criteria played a huge part in Johnny not being discovered. I definitely would agree with that. Um, the police initially insisted that Johnny was a runaway, but they later came to believe that he was kidnapped. But despite the fact that they believed that, they still could not establish any kind of viable motive because there was very little evidence and no suspects were arrested. So kind of... Um, after Johnny disappeared, there were a couple more instances, which I'm going to briefly tell you about in a moment, um, of those couple other boys disappearing, uh, under similar circumstances or, you know, it just seems very similar, but, um, there actually was, um, a campaign started and that was the milk carton campaign. And you guys probably remember what I'm talking about, right? The faces mm. of kids on milk cartons. I mean, it's pretty, you know, we, we grew up with it. All of us did. Um, I mean, those of us talking on the show <laughs> did anyway. Um, I, I was trying to remember if I ever saw um, any milk cartons growing up. Like, I must have. I just can't play specifically. Yeah. Like in yeah, our house, we drink milk, but I didn't like yeah. milk. So like, I, I, I wanted to stay away from it. I think I saw it more in like movies and TV shows and like lifetime yeah. shows from like a little bit before my time. And, you know, maybe lifetime movies about Johnny Gosh, but you know. Right. Like, no, that's true. Yeah. I was just about to ask, is, is that something they still do? No, no, it's not anymore. Um, the program did end, but yeah, you're, you're right, Tia. Uh, it, because milk, milk it wasn't even like coming. for a very long period of time. So, yeah. Um, which I'll yeah. get into. I was going to say, second, milk doesn't but... hardly even come in cartons. Oh, sorry. I didn't no. mean to interrupt you. <laughs> that's, that's no, 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 you're good. Milk. Yeah. Milk hardly even comes in cartons anymore. It's mostly in like plastic gallons. So, but yeah, right. No, I, yeah, now it. I can't think that I ever saw that, but I do remember, and I think this is still like to today, like seeing missing kids in like the Penny Saver, like which oh, right. is a yeah. discount newspaper article situation. But that still happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it, I think so. Yeah, that, and that would probably be 
in a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, 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 for sure. Yeah, I was just trying to remember, like, when I started going over this information, I was like, did I ever actually see any faces on those cartons? I mean, I must have. But anyway, I now that you're talking about the movies and TV, the one that sticks out most clearly in my mind <laughs> is the one of the Lost Boys with the little kid on it. Remember when they like they flash for one second in the in the kitchen and they're they're like to the picture of the kid. No. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, if you if you I, go back, I watched it like not that long ago, so it's fresh in my mind. But <laughs> if you go back and watch it, you can see the little vampire child on the side of the milk carton as missing. Mm. But anyway. <laughs> Isn't there a movie called like the kid on the milk, the, the face on the milk carton or something? Isn't I mean, I don't know. There must be. Yeah. I don't come come across that particular one, but okay. Well, let me get back to telling you more about about this about the yeah. milk carton campaign. Then, then you'll have a little more info on it, just like I did, because I was mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting. Um, so it started in 1984. So Johnny had already been missing two years, right? But then two years later, a boy named Eugene Martin also disappears from uh, Des Moines, Iowa. So the same city. And Eugene was actually uh, 13 years old. Um, But he was also a paper boy. So the exact same similar circumstances as Johnny. Um, So once Eugene disappears... Uh, a relative that's working at Anderson and Erickson Dairy in Des Moines, they reached out to the company president for help. The president was willing to help, but both Eugene Martin and Johnny Gosh's photos and their short little bio information were printed on the sides of Anderson and Erickson's dairy half-gallon milk cartons. The dairy officially launched the original concept on a local basis in Iowa, in Des Moines, in September 1984. And then one week later, Prairie Dairy Farms followed suit. And the project soon exploded on a nationwide basis after that. So the milk carton thing actually started out in Iowa locally, you know, at that small dairy. And then it got the attention of the other dairy farms in the area. And then um, Chicago was actually the the next place to kind of put the milk carton campaign on the map, which I did not know at all either. Um, but uh, there was another boy. Uh, if you, if you look on, you know, Wikipedia, which I found a lot of information on this subject on Wikipedia, um, also some other sites, but it will say that, um, that there, there was a boy named, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, E-T-A-N, Etan, Etan Potts. Um, he was a six-year-old and he went missing from Manhattan in New York on May 25th, 1979. So a couple years before Johnny, but it says that Etan is the first face of a child to grace the milk cartons. Well, that is actually true, but it's only true nationwide. So that happened after Johnny. I mean, even though it happened before Johnny, his face 
was first nationwide, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, I told you in January 1985, Chicago drew national attention for launching uh, its own missing children milk cartons, you know, based on the same same style as the ones in Iowa. Then after Chicago, California actually joins in the program. Um, late January 18... What? That's not right. <laughs> I wrote 1895. I'm like, that is definitely not right. <laughs> late January 1985, the National Child Safety Council announces that they are going to launch their own nationwide missing children milk carton program. So it seems like this program had a lot of different kind of evolutions, basically. Um, but, you know, in the end, the, the goal was obviously to try and, you know, spread awareness and, and see if anybody could recognize these children. Um, and at that time, you know, pre, pre-internet, pre pre-fast uh, technology, that was, you know, the fastest way that they could probably get somebody's face out there. So uh, by March 1985, 700 plus dairies were now involved. 1.5 billion missing children milk cartons were distributed nationwide. In April 1985, the National Child Safety Council announces reported sightings of missing children had increased by more than 30%. So they felt like that was, that was a pretty decent effort. Um, the program success leads to other items also being used like shopping bags, soda bottles, billboards, penny saver <laughs> articles. Uh, but the missing children milk carton campaign was short lived. It ran for only a few years and it ended after many parents complain that seeing pictures of missing children every day is, quote, scarring their own children. Uh. So, or not scarring. Well, yeah, probably scarring, but also scaring. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's scaring their own children. So uh, that's why the program ended. Um, so that's why we don't see see that today but like you pointed out there's milk is not usually sold in half gallon cartons anymore anyway mm -hmm. so, so there you go uh so i told you about eugene martin who went missing but after eugene went missing another boy mark allen he wasn't a paper boy but he was also 13 years old and he was also from des moines and this was two years after uh, Eugene Martin went missing. So on March 29th, 1986, uh, Mark told his mom he was going to walk to a friend's house down the street, but he never arrived and he vanished without a trace. Now, if you look up the pictures of Mark Allen, Eugene Martin, and Johnny Gosh, they all kind of look kind of similar. You know, they're all, uh, you know, 12 or 13 year old, years old. They're, they're all white. They all kind of have brown hair. They're hairstyled in a certain way. Um, 
so there's a lot of kind of, you know, obvious similarities happening there. Um, but despite, and, and actually now that I'm looking at it, I'm thinking about it. So Johnny Gosh, 1982, Eugene Martin, 1984, and Mark Allen, 1986. So two years apart each time. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, I think significant as well, even though nothing I read really pointed that out. But um, but despite all of this kind of surface information, authorities have still are they're still unable to prove a connection, unfortunately, between the three cases, even though it seems like there really should be some kind of connection, especially since Eugene was also a paper boy like Johnny. Um, the third child, Mark, was not. But still, he's a vulnerable child walking around, you know, um, and probably got kidnapped. But, um, yeah, nothing official has been able to been been able to be proved to link any of the cases. Um, So you can imagine that Johnny's mother, Noreen, was, you know, completely distraught over the whole thing. she actually, she made quite a few claims that kind of, I don't want to say got her in trouble, but kind of made her not as sympathetic after a while, maybe. Uh, she was very vocal about, you know, she felt very strongly, first of all, that law enforcement had handled everything terribly, um, and rightfully so. Um, but the case over the years, so from 1982 till um, today, essentially, um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe she's she hasn't passed yet. Uh, so she still is holding out hope that um, Johnny is alive and that he'll come home. Um, but <laughs> is it very likely? Probably not. Uh, I'll get into that. A little bit later, but um, just so you know, it's and it, it's very easily uh, illustrated in the documentary, which I was going to talk about um, eventually, but I'll just talk about it now. Uh, it's called "Who Took Johnny," and it was uh, made in 2014. I actually watched it. I can't even remember when. At least two to three years ago, maybe. Let's say, but I just put it on randomly because you know I'm interested in this stuff so I wanted to mm-hmm. learn more about the case and and so yeah when you told me I was going to do this topic I was like well, that's perfect because I'm already familiar with the case and um you know I just I was like well I can find out even more about this case so um but yeah I, the point I was making with the the reference to the documentary was that um Noreen, his mother, she's just become so deeply affected by the whole case that it just took really, really heavy toll on her. You know, her marriage actually broke up because of it. Um, She and Johnny's father were, I think they stayed together for like maybe a good 10 years after he had disappeared. But after that, it just took too much of a toll and they couldn't continue on. But uh, Noreen, like I said, has never given up. Um, but she did make uh, certain claims as to, you know, what may have happened in the case. Um, but whether or not people believe these claims, they don't tend to believe her. 
A lot of people label her as crazy, just plain crazy, which Mm -hmm. of course is not very nice. Uh, But, you know, I think maybe the point is just that she's so distraught in the case and it maybe has affected her mentally. But uh, she claims that in March 1997, Johnny, who would have been 27 at the time, came to visit her. And she said that he came to visit her in the middle of the night at like 2.30 in the morning. She said she recognized him from the birthmark that he has on his chest because apparently he opened his shirt to reveal the birthmark to her. Um, She said his hair was long, straight, dyed black, that they talked for an hour, an hour and a half. But Johnny gave no revealing information as to his whereabouts or where he was going and that he was with an unknown man and that anytime Johnny was about to speak to his mother, to Noreen, that Johnny would kind of look to the man for approval as to whether or not he could say something. Um, But this, of course, is all speculation And it's all just, Noreen truly believes that she did see her son at this point, but nothing can really be linked to, did this really happen or not? Nobody knows. She claims it happened, but it does seem kind of odd. Um, But at the same time, who knows? Uh, In 2000, she self-publishes a book called Why Johnny Can't Come Home. And this is... The book is basically, excuse me, her understanding of what Johnny went through based on original research of private investigators that she'd hired. And this is, the book is also based on the 1997 alleged visit from Johnny. That wasn't the only thing though. Uh, September 1st, 2006, Noreen finds photos that were left at her front door. And these are really disturbing photos, too. One color photo shows three boys bound and gagged. A black and white photo shows a 12-year-old boy who she believes to be Johnny with his mouth gagged, hogtied, and with a human brand on his shoulder. A third photo shows what could possibly be a dead man with something tied around his neck. So these are three photos that were left at her doorstep in 2006, no less. So years and years later, um, Noreen believes that the man that was the, the man in the third photo that looked like he was dead, she believes that that man was one of the, quote, perpetrators who molested my son. And when I say molested, that's where I'm about to get into the other part of this case. Uh, But Noreen said the first two photos originated from a child pornography website. So that's kind of where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be getting into in a second. Um, So on September 13th, 2006, so this was just, what, 12 days later, an anonymous letter was sent to the Des Moines police saying that the photos were of three boys, but they were in Tampa, Florida in 1979 or 1980, and that the photos, 
they weren't being abused, but they were challenging each other <laughs> to an escape contest. So that sounds pretty weird, right? <laughs> but that's what they claim. And there allegedly was an investigation that was conducted by the county sheriff of wherever these in, in Florida, where these photos were discovered. Um, there were no charges filed, though, and the sheriff couldn't prove a crime, any kind of crime. He said that he actually talked to the three boys and that there was no coercion and that, you know, basically nothing was happening, that they were just, I don't know, guys fooling around, <laughs> something like that. So uh, the detective did say that the detail, the details of the letter were true and that he did investigate the black and white photo in 1978 or 1979, but that would have been before Johnny disappeared. So was it him? Uh, when he was asked to find proof that this was the exact same photo from the investigation, you know, nearly three decades earlier, he couldn't provide any proof that it was the same photo. Um, but he did say that he investigated, he found nothing wrong, but it seems pretty strange that he couldn't provide any proof of the photo either. The authorities do not believe one of the three boys is Johnny. They really don't believe that, but Noreen, his mother, does still. She'll still assert that. There were some national changes that happened because of this case. Uh, I mentioned that Noreen was very vocal and dedicated to finding her son. She established the Johnny Gosh Foundation in 1982. And with the foundation, she would essentially visit schools and give seminars about how sexual predators operate and how they, how they, you know, look for children and snatch children and essentially that, that whole kind of thing. Um, in 1984, she was successful in lobbying for the Johnny Gosh bill. And that was actually state legislation in Iowa, which would mandate an immediate police response to the reports of missing children. So no one would ever again, if any parent was missing a child in Iowa, they wouldn't have to wait 72 hours for the child to be considered missing. They would have an immediate response to that. And perhaps that would be able to find the child more quickly. Um, I didn't know, because I, I knew about the, the bill, but I didn't know that it, it wasn't, um, it's not nationwide, I guess. Um, it's, it's, it was adopted by, I think, Missouri. And I think it said seven other states, but not every state has this bill, which is pretty crazy considering the amount of children that are abducted um, all the time. However, uh, no, August 1984, Noreen testifies in, a, in Senate hearings on organized crime, speaking out about organized pedophilia and how it was able to take Johnny away from her. She also testified before the U.S. Department of Justice, and the U.S. Department of Justice wound up giving $10 million to establish the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 
So I don't know if you remember those commercials growing up, but I definitely do mm-hmm. on TV. So that was around that same time when that foundation was established. Um, and Noreen was actually invited to the White House at the time for the dedication ceremony by then President Ronald Reagan. Uh, but unfortunately, due to the fact that she testified in the Senate hearings and before the Department of Justice, Noreen actually started receiving death threats and all kinds of weird stuff started happening to her. So this was kind of, I think when she maybe started to get painted in a different light and I'm not quite sure how to put that, but um, if you watch the documentary, (laughs) which I highly recommend if you're more interested in this case, um, it gets into it a little bit more. Uh, But there's one last or a couple couple last thoughts I, I wanna leave with this case. Um, so Noreen, his mom talked a lot about uh, the idea that Johnny was taken by some kind of uh, child prostitution ring, that he was you know human trafficked. Um, and unfortunately, there, there were people out there that uh, were only too happy to kind of, uh, I guess, maybe feed her fears, so to speak. Uh, there was a man named Paul Bonacci. And uh, in 1989, he was 21 at the time. He told his attorney that he was, he himself was abducted into a sex ring with Johnny Gosh as a teenager and he was also forced to participate in his kidnapping. So at the time, Paul Bonacci, you know, I said he told this to his attorney, but he was also in jail. Uh, and he did actually talk to Noreen at this time. Uh, she meets with him and he tells her of certain details, like Johnny's birthmark on his chest. But at that time, that was kind of widely known information. Wow. Um, however, He did say that there was a scar on his tongue, on Johnny's tongue, and a burn scar on his lower leg. And he also mentioned that whenever Johnny got upset, he had this kind of stammer to his speech. Um, So Noreen said, well, nobody would have been able to know that kind of information about the scar. Uh, So she, she was inclined to believe him. But... Once again, the FBI and local police don't believe Bonacci. They don't think he's a credible witness, and they haven't even interviewed him. Uh, so Paul, Paul Bonacci's other thing was that he, he accused a man in uh, Nebraska, Lawrence E. King, who was a Republican Party activist and a director of Franklin Credit Union, Omaha, Nebraska, he accused him of running underage prostitution ring and victimizing him from uh, childhood on. So this actually went before a jury in 1990. A federal grand jury did not indict King for child prostitution, but they did indict him for fraud related to the credit union. Uh, Apparently, he looted about $40 million from the bank. So he got 15 years in prison for that, Um, but still no mention of whether or not the child prostitution ring actually happened or not. 
1999, the U.S. District Court in Nebraska uh, awarded Paul Bonacci $1 million in damages because Bonacci had sued King, but he didn't respond. So it was a, basically just a default judgment and entered against him. Um, and then King actually dropped his appeal in 2000, and he was released from jail in 2001. So um, nothing else has come of it so far. Uh, the last thing is that Noreen did have a website. And I say had because I tried to go to the website, and when I did, it just displayed an error message. So I don't think she probably has the website up anymore. Um, but she did a couple of years ago. It's just www.johnnygosh.com. But like I said, I, I don't know. I tried to go to it, but I couldn't couldn't uh, access it. So if you get an error message, then I'll know that's not just me. Typing it in right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, error message? No, I got through. You got through? Oh, okay. Uh, johnnygosh.com. Johnnygosh.com has expired. Oh, expired? Okay. It, it gives me some other articles on human trafficking. Oh, okay. Okay. At least to put you in the right direction. What not? Yeah, maybe she didn't keep it up anymore or something. Okay. Well, that's good yeah. to know. But um, I thought this was really touching. In a personal note to Johnny uh, on the website, which she, you know, essentially made as a tribute to him and also you know, probably try and get clues out there, information, keep hope alive. But um, she wrote to Johnny, my hope is that the latest report saying you are still alive is true and that one day we will be able to see each other again. I was just like, oh, my God, so sad. <laughs> and the last thought I'll leave, you, leave us with, it's not the most hopeful, unfortunately, but... Um, the police believe that the only real break in the case will come when Johnny's remains are found. And that's probably very likely to be true. I mean, he, at this point in 2021, he would be 50 plus years old. Um, yeah, it's kind of unlikely that he's still alive, but uh, it's, it's just so terrible. I mean, his his mother, I mean, you'll see it, especially if you decide to watch the documentary, you can see like the physical toll, you know, it took on her aside from everything else. But yeah, it was, um, I was, you know, very surprised to know that Johnny was one of the first, um, the first big cases to kind of bring the kind of stranger danger thing into focus, you know, uh, from the eighties, you know, when I was, I don't know about you guys, but when I was going to grade school, I specifically remember, um, you know, probably being around, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old. And my dad saying like, okay, we have to have a family password. And I was like, why? He's mm -hmm. like, in case somebody comes to try and get you, we're going to, have a password and if they don't say the password you don't go with that person and of course that was like that was terrifying but you know I mean nothing ever happened luckily but you know yeah there there was that whole thing going on 
in in the 80s definitely with like don't talk to strangers don't take any you know candy from strangers in the car so yeah i don't know that this was um this was one of those cases and yeah so unfortunately johnny is still considered missing and if he if his body somehow is found then of course he will no longer be considered missing but then it will be a crime scene and who, who can you find out who the perpetrators are so i don't know i i really don't know i mean i'm not a mother currently i don't know what that's like but i definitely do not know what that would be like to just keep hoping that someone is alive for yeah. years and years and years so sad i feel like a lot of the time not any not currently you know yeah i feel like a lot of the time like the police definitely dropped the ball on the case and wanted to basically yeah just say that the kid ran away from home you know mm-hmm. and, the mo- and most of the time when i hear these stories it's it's with a mother who is the strong character in the story and the cops dismissing her right you know which yeah. definitely have you ever seen the movie The Changeling with Angelina Jolie? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, we should definitely do that story because that is so messed up. Oh, yeah. The cops basically, it's a true story. These cops basically give her the wrong kid mm-hmm. and they're like, no, this is your kid. And she's like, this is not my son. They're like, no, right. this is your kid. Like, we, case closed. We did it. We solved it. Pat's on our back. Like, yeah. And it's not the kid. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah, try to make her believe she's insane. Yeah, that was a good movie. <laughs> and they're completely overlooking this guy who ends up coming out as this serial killer who has several bodies of children on his property. Oh, yeah. I just gave it. We should do that. I just gave it all away. But if you come back and listen, listeners, you'll hear more details as to that changeling case. Yeah. Plus, I, I think we did that on a, on the other podcast at some point. I think you're right. That story. Who knows? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good one. I yeah, forget what but, her last name was, but I remember the character's first name was Christine. I don't remember yeah. the last name. Anyway. But I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, the police definitely dropped the ball in that case. But I think there's this there's this thing where they're just, they always want to be like, oh, it's going to be okay. You're overreacting, and of course the parents are going to react a certain way. It's it's terrifying, you know, and it's I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would never want to feel that way with my own kid or one of my family members. Absolutely, you, know? you don't. Yeah, I mean, just her. You know, I mean, if you've ever lost somebody in any way, I mean, you understand the grief, and yeah. it's like. She's grieving for somebody she doesn't even know what happened. Yeah, there's no closure. She's just her, oh, sorry, just (laughs) empathetically taking in all that feeling. That's just really, that's just got to be hard. So, yeah, I just hope that, you know, I mean, she's, she's got to be getting Noreen, his mom and his father, but it's definitely the mother who's. Still, I think I, I saw something as recently as 2018, you know, that she was still in doing interviews or talks and stuff. And 
So, I mean, she's just, she just can't let it go, you know? I mean, and, and she shouldn't, I mean, it's her son, but it's gotta just be so hard. I wouldn't even know how to deal with that, you know? So, yeah. Um, but I mean, she was able, she does say, you know, she's like, I was able to bring about this change with the laws, which is positive. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to look at that and say, well, hopefully I prevented some other children from, you know, being, being taken as quickly, or maybe, yeah, maybe it was just better. It's, it's sad in society that we have to have something bad or negative happen before we can learn from it. Like we have to learn from mistakes. We can't have the forethought to think, mm-hmm. you know, why, why do we need to wait 72 hours to make sure this kid isn't a runaway? It's a child. Even right. if they are runaway, shouldn't we be looking for them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 12 years old, so young. Nowadays, it's like, yes, if you're an adult and you're missing, it's a little more difficult because as an adult, you are allowed to willingly leave any situation you're in. But yeah, as a child, no. No. If if your parents don't know where you are, that is a problem. Yes. And everyone should have feet on the ground looking for you. Right. You know? I would think so, yeah. So... The fact that that bill was able to come into effect, the Johnny Gosh bill, which isn't in effect everywhere, should be, but I don't know yeah. why it's not. But um, but at least it's effect in Iowa and several other states. And um, and like you're going to talk about the Amber Alert. Um, yeah. That's, that's definitely, um, yeah, all these things come about because, like you said, extreme tragedies that, you know, you have to find find a way through it find mm-hmm. out what to do but um definitely um hope that that uh the johnny gosh's family can have some peace in some way um one of these days um whenever that may be <laughs> but you know in- interestingly enough i just looked this up because i was curious um mm. But um, I was curious, like, you know, how if, like, a senior citizen goes missing from, like, a retire- retirement home or something. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Has dementia or something. Uh, apparently, in those cases, they uh, do not require a 24-hour waiting period to look for them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it doesn't really make sense to have that for senior citizens, but not for children. You know? Yeah. It's like, I-, I feel like a child is so much less of an advantage in society, you know, because child is an obvious target, you know, that's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like you're putting a mouse out in the field with a bunch of fucking ravens and crows out there rather than, you know, an old crow that's walking around there. You know, I don't know if that's a terrible metaphor, but you know, (laughs) you're basically basically, making this child prey, you know, it's like, yes, that's like, it's, they should immediately jump on that. Yeah. But I get, I get, you know, like kids go hiding out in a fort for four hours sometimes and then get found. Right. And in, in 1982, that's why I was talking about the whole like start of the stranger danger thing. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to say it was a more innocent time. You always want to say something like that, but it really wasn't. I mean, there were still things happening, but, you know, it. I think at that point, probably, I'm going to assume in the early 80s, a lot of parents were not too concerned, especially in a West uh, Des Moines, Iowa suburb that 
you know, a, a child doing their paper route that something bad could possibly ever happen to them. You know, I just don't think that was ever a thought in their mind. And that's usually <laughs> how it happens. But at the same time, you know, uh, it, it is just, it, it is, it is an enduring mystery. What did happen? I mean, did, was there child prostitution involved? I don't know. Were these just claims the mother was making based on, you know, whatever, but whoever sent those pictures to her in 2006, I mean, that somebody effing with her, you know, I yeah. mean, and, and for what reason, you know, like I, I, mean, I the, the only way I could see if it was child prostitution would be the, I mean, I mean, that could be the reason why the cops weren't investigating. Hmm. I believe like that is like a way to look at it. Like these cops were trying to hide something as well, but I don't, I don't know. I don't really mm. want to accuse people, um, but <laughs> yeah. It's just, knows? I know it's just strange. Like why, why do this? Why, why send those pictures and, and the pictures you can see too, they show them in the, in the documentary. So you can see the pictures there, but yeah, the one picture with the single boy that she is very intent on is Johnny. So disturbing. I mean, he's all, yeah. he's tied up, you know, like, and it's a young, he's obviously a younger boy and it's just, yeah disturbing to say the least <laughs> so mm -hmm. if you want to uh get a look at that or i mean i'm sure you could look it up maybe a youtube clip as well if you don't want to watch the whole documentary but it was pretty good but yeah it's um i mean in the sense not good <laughs> good in the sense that it was you know um it's a mystery you want to know what what happens but to this mystery no conclusion so mm -hmm. still open Maybe we'll find Johnny. Maybe we'll just find Johnny's body. But yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's probably unlikely that he's still alive at this point. But you know, stranger things have happened. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> you don't want to rule it out. You know, mm. lots of things happen. People get reunited after years and years of, um, I don't remember what that exact story was, but the the story in, I think it was in California, where the girl was, like, kidnapped, abducted, and then it wasn't that Elizabeth Smart. I know she was one, but there was mm -hmm. another girl that was, like, abducted, and I remember, like, reading the story, and she was finally found. Um, how did they find her? They went to, like, a college campus or something, and... And the, the guy was like, he was essentially like kind of like a cult, cult leader type of guy, you know, and she was living in the backyard in some tent or something like that. And um, they found her there because she was able to get help finally from somebody like that she needed help. And um, she had been gone for like, I don't know, 20 years or something like that, you know, so. Wow. She was a child when she was abducted, and then when she was reunited with her parents, she's essentially a, a young adult. So um, hopefully by now she's adjusted. I think this was like mid-2000s, I want to say. But 
yeah, I mean, stories like this are <laughs> just all too common. You just don't hear about it all the time, you know? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if any details come up with, with that in the coming years. We'll see. Stay tuned. Thanks, Teresa, for that. Yeah. I was going to say wonderful story, but it was very sad. <laughs> it was very sad. wonderful, sad story. Yes. Um. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the invention of the Amber Alert, which is kind of what the evolution, I guess, of the milk carton. Yeah, definitely is, yeah. and maybe a little more. Um, I don't want to say successful, but a little more urgent and in your face, you know, which it needs to be when kids go missing. Yeah. People need to know, people need to be made aware. And, uh, the first 24 hours are imperative in, in any, in any case, like, uh, they have the whole show first 48 where they talk about 48 hours, like, Mm -hmm. Crime scenes get compromised very quickly, definitely, and people go missing very quickly. And if you're in a, if you're abducted and you're in a car, you know, in 24 hours, I could be on the other side of the country mm-hmm. easily. You know, I could yeah. be a couple states over, and no one would know where I was. <laughs> all right, all right. So, uh, so I'm talking about the invention of the Amber Alert. So the Amber Alert is an acronym for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. I had no idea that that was an acronym. Okay. So it is uh, a, oh, sorry. And it also goes by other names, depending on where you're at. A lot of, a lot of the responses, the emergency responses have been, renamed in honor of children who have been missing. So in Georgia, it's called Levi's Call, memory of Levi Frady. In Hawaii, it's called Male Amber Alert, in memory of Male Gilbert. In Arkansas, it's Morgan Nick Amber Alert, in memory of Morgan Nick. And in Utah, it is called Rachel Alert, in memory of Rachel Runyon. So it is an alert system we have here in the United States, and it is distributed via commercials, uh, commercial and public radio stations, internet radio, satellite radio, television stations, text messages, cable TV by the emergency alert system, and NOO, no, sorry, N-O, NOAA weather radio. Uh, The alerts are also issued via email, uh, electronic traffic signs, commercial electronic billboards, and through wireless device and SMS text messages. So it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's the point of it is to get it out to as many people in the area of this person going missing in as quick of a response. So if you are on the freeway, you know, and the traffic sign says what kind of car you should be looking for, you can find the car. Mm-hmm. You know, most people like, yes, they do kind of go like groan about, oh, the Amber Alert woke me up in the middle of the night. But 
I'm sorry, you you missing out on five, ten minutes of sleep is less important than these children being found. So yeah. get over it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean it's for they get like your attention for sure, you know, on the phone. Yeah. You know, it's like blaring super loud and yeah, yeah you you can't but that's miss the point. it. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, it's jarring. That's the only thing I think I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. What's it's an awful noise too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like that fire alarm type of noise, yeah. or whatever, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, it's absolutely essential. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. What, what happened to Amber? So, okay. So, it actually doesn't start with Amber. It starts oh. with a young girl named Polly Hannah Kloss. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I, I know wanna, that. I do, yeah, I do want to do a whole episode on this story. So I'm only going to do a very, very brief, brief, I'm only going to do a very, very brief synopsis of her yeah. story because I think her story particularly, it's terrifying and it deserves an entire episode mm-hmm. on on it. So I'm only going to talk um, very briefly on it because I do want to re- touch on Polly Kloss's story later on. Mm. Uh, I know they cover her story on My Favorite Murder, which is where I first heard about Polly Kloss mm. because it does happen in Petaluma, California. And if you watch, if you listen to the podcast, that's where one of the hosts oh, is from. Okay. No. So, uh, Polly Hannah Kloss, she went missing on October 1st, 1993. Uh, at the age of 12, she was kidnapped at Knife Point during a slumber party at, at her mother's home in Petaluma, California, and was later strangled. Uh, a man named Richard Allen Davis was convicted of her murder in 1996 and sentenced to death. So there's a lot more to that story, but... It really starts with her story. So in 1996, a few years later, Amber Renee Hagerman, she goes missing. So on January 15, 1996, uh, she was abducted while riding her bike with her brother in Arlington, Texas. Her brother, Ricky, had gone home without her because Amber had wanted to stay in the parking lot for a while. When he returned to get her, Ricky found her bicycle without her. Uh, A neighbor who had witnessed the abduction called 911. On hearing the news, Amber's father, Richard, called Mark Kloss, father of Polly, and Richard and Amber's mother, Donna, called the news media and the FBI. Uh, They and their neighbors began searching for Amber's. Four days Uh, After her abduction, near midnight, Amber's naked body was discovered in a creek behind the apartment complex with severe laceration wounds around her neck. Hmm. The site of her discovery was less than five miles from where she was abducted. Wow. So within days of Amber's death, Donna was calling for tougher laws governing kidnappers and sex offenders. Uh, Her parents soon established People Against Sex Offenders, or P-A-S-O, or I guess it could be PASO. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that before. What is it? People Against Sex Offenders. No, I've not heard of that one. Mm. 
people. I mean, that might be a good thing that we don't know what that is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in this situation or anything. Yeah. So, no, I didn't uh, know that existed. Yeah. So they collected signatures hoping to force the Texas legislator the Texas legislator. They collected signatures hoping to force the Texas legislator into passing more stringent laws to protect children. So um, the the church, God's Place International Church, donated the first office space for the organization. And as the search for Amber's killer continued, PASO received almost daily coverage in local media. Companies donated office supplies, computers, and internet service. So Congressman Martin Frost, with the help of Mark Kloss, drafted the Amber Hagerman Child Protection Act. Act, the Drafted the Amber Hagerman Child Protection Act. Uh, both, of, both of Amber's parents were present when uh, President Bill Clinton signed the bill into law, creating the National Sex Offenders Registry. So prior to that, there wasn't that where sex offenders had to register. Have you ever wow. looked at that before? The like, oh God, what is it called? No. What is it called? That website where you can look to see how many sex offenders are in your uh, neighborhood? I don't know what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I don't know what it's called. <laughs> no, because our, our listeners should know what that's called. It's like yeah. Megan, Megan's something oh let, what is let me, it let me look it up keep keep going I'll, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll pop okay I'll Steve um but I've looked at it before when I lived in Hollywood and I was like oh Jesus Christ <laughs> well terrifying. I lived, like off of Hollywood Boulevard so there's yeah. interesting characters oh, yeah around there, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we um, all know those of so, us who so, know what it's like <laughs> yeah so, so like just the national sex offender a public website so it's nsopw.gov oh, okay uh, and you can do an advanced oh. search you can search name oh it's a government website location. oh okay yeah what oh. was i thinking of should i see what's within a mile of us right now i don't know we live in las vegas so i'm sure there's a few sex offenders out here probably so. <laughs> zero records from seven jurisdictions matched your search address. Oh, we have zero sex offenders in our area. Okay, that's that's within, within a distance of two miles from our place, but we're like surrounded by hospitals. And, <laughs> yeah. So like, I guess Aww. that kind of makes sense. Well, we I live in the middle of the hospital. At the hospital, so that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. No, I we literally live in the middle of a hospital. Like there's hospital on that street and then hospital on this. You've been here. Never mind. It's yeah. Fine. No, but I didn't, I didn't remember that it was a hospital necessarily. So yeah. Okay. There's just the one apartment complex behind us and then the mall across the freeway and then yeah. the police station, but everything else is the hospital. Okay. So I guess, yeah, I don't know. I doubt sex offenders work at the hospital or live at the hospital. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably not. You never know. Okay, all right. Getting back to it. So both of Amber's parents were present when President Bill Clinton signed the bill into law creating the National Sex Offenders Registry. Uh, Donna and Richard Hagerman 
which her last name is now Whitson, but uh, Donna and Richard, Amber's parents, then began collecting signatures, which they planned to present to the then governor, George Bush, as a sign that people wanted more stringent laws for sex offenders. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, in July 1996, Ruth Sabert, whose own daughter was close, was a close friend of Amber and Richard Hagerman, attended a media, media symposium in Arlington. Uh, although Hagerman had remarks prepared on the day of the event, the organizer asked Siebert to speak instead. In his 20-minute speech, he spoke about the efforts that local police could take quickly to help find missing children and how the media could facilitate those efforts. C.J. Wheeler, a reporter from the radio station, KRLD approached the Dallas police shortly afterwards with Siebert's idea and launched the first ever Amber Alert. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the early days, the Amber Alerts were made manually uh, to participating radio stations. Uh, But in 1998, the Child Alert Foundation created the first fully automated alert notification system. Uh, to notify the surrounding communities when a child was reported missing or abducted. So, to avoid both false alarms and having alerts being ignored as a wolf cry, uh, the criteria for issuing an alert were uh, were rather strict. So, uh, each state uh, or province's set their own Amber Alert criteria, but this is basically uh, the criteria that it has to follow, or at least it used to. Uh, Law enforcement must confirm that an abduction has taken place, number one. Uh, So it has to be confirmed that it's an abduction, not just a runaway, which I'll get into in a second here. Uh, The child must be at risk of serious injury or death, Uh, There must be sufficient descriptive information of the child, captor, or captor's vehicle to issue the alert, and the child must be under 17 years of age. Uh, Many law enforcement agencies have not used the number two criteria, uh, resulting in many parental abductions triggering an AMBER alert. Mm -hmm. So, number two, serious risk of injury or death that can be interpreted. And if there, yeah, many of the times when a kid goes missing, it is by a family member. So in, uh, in 2013, West Virginia passed Schuyler's law to eliminate the number one as a criteria for triggering an Amber Alert, which is that they have to be confirmed that an abduction has taken place because, uh, Because in this case that I'm about to get into, uh, an abduction wasn't clearly known if it was taking place, but this girl did go missing. And they Mm -hmm. weren't sure if she had run away or been abducted, but she was missing. And there was a lot of witnesses on... Well, I'll get into it. (laughs) So... So Schuyler's Law is named after Schuyler Niece, 
And on uh, July 5th, 2012, uh, Skylar Niece returned to her family's uh, Star City, West Virginia apartment after working a shift at Wendy's. Uh, her apartment complex surveillance video shows Skylar left the apartment uh, from her bedroom window at 12.30 a.m. on July 6th and got into a sedan. So she willingly got out and went into a car. So wasn't technically an abduction. But they had description of the car and they had, you know, a time and surveillance of when she went missing. But they didn't issue an Amber Alert. So Skylar, Skylar's father said that she did not take her cell phone charger uh, and her window was left open and that she planned on coming home. So on the night of, of the murder, Rachel Schof and Sheila Ray Eddy invited Skylar to sneak. Oh, I just gave that away, didn't I? Saying. So that <laughs> night, <laughs> that night, Rachel Schof and Sheila Ray Eddy invited Skylar to sneak out with them. So they were ex-friends of Skylar's, but they had recently had a falling out. And Skylar initially didn't want to go with them. But after a series of phone calls and texts from the girls, Skylar ended up changing her mind. Uh, Rachel and Sheila had been planning to murder Skylar for months. Uh, they packed kitchen knives from Sheila's house, paper towels, bleach, clean, uh, cleaning cloths, clean clothes, and a shovel. And they concealed the knives in their purses and hid the remaining items in the trunk of Sheila's car. Damn. So at approximately 12.30 a.m., Skylar climbed out of her bedroom window, crossed the street, and got into the back seat of a four-door savan. Uh, later, police uh, determined that the sedan had been in the possession of Sheila Ray Eddy that evening, and the three girls then headed northwest from Star City towards Black Blacksville via U.S. Route 19. Uh, the girls had planned to travel along uh, West Virginia Route 7, but turned around after spotting a state police car parked in front of a gambling lounge. They eventually arrived at their destination across uh, the Pennsylvania state border, a spot where all three of the girls had occasionally smoked marijuana. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's how it was went, written. How it was written. How it was written on Wikipedia. Uh, damn marijuana. I do not say smoke marijuana. That, that <laughs> is not how I say that. <laughs> As we all know. It'll always get you into trouble, that marijuana. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that explains why she would sneak out of her window to, like, go do this with these two girls. You know. God bless um, her. No, sorry. <laughs> so once the girls were out of the car, the girls told Skylar that they had forgotten to bring a lighter. Skylar volunteered to go back to the vehicle to fetch her own light lighter. Once Skylar had turned her back, uh, Sheila and Rachel counted to three, their agreed upon signal, and then began to stab Skylar. <gasps> so Skylar, Skylar attempted to run but was only able to run a few feet. 
before uh, Rachel tackled her to the ground and uh, continued the assault. Skylar managed to wrestle Rachel's knife from her and in an attempt to defend herself, cut Rachel's knee. Uh, Sheila continued to stab Skylar until there was complete silence. Uh, according to Rachel, Skylar's neck stopped making gurgling sounds. Oh. Hold on. Now PJ's trying to get out of the room. Oh, man. She's like, I can't listen to this. A good place to pause. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Just like gurgling sounds. Oh my god! Get Ugh. me out of this room. I mean, but I'm envisioning it now. Yikes! Right, yeah. You could see if if the parents had if the parents had noticed she was missing at some time. I mean, they had surveillance of the sedan. You know, an Amber Alert was never made because she had willingly gone, and they drove past a police officer. You know, so you can see where. This would be where it would have been helpful, you know, mm-hmm. to have an Amber Alert out there. I mean, maybe the parents didn't notice right away, but, you know, yeah. the police could have at least known, you know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Skylar's postmortem examination revealed, revealed, Skylar's post-mortem examination revealed more than 50 stab wounds. Oh, my God. So the girls attempted to bury Skylar, dragging uh, her body to the side of the road. But the road ran along a... a lo- Sorry, I can't speak today. Uh, but, the road, but the road ran along a creek, and the soil was way too hard and rocky to dig a hole. They instead covered the body with rocks fallen branches, and some dirt. Oh, my God. They returned to the car to clean themselves and the murder scene and then left the scene, disposed of their bloody, slow clothing, and returned to their homes. Uh, So Skylar was initially considered by the authorities to be a runaway, and an Amber Alert was not immediately issued in the connection of her disappearance. An early tip indicated that Skylar had been seen in North Carolina but the Star City Police Department determined that that person uh, spotted was not Skylar. Skylar's parents posted flyers about the their missing daughter in the uh, Mongolia County region. Police determined that the unknown sedan in which Skylar was last seen belonged to, uh, sorry, belonged to Sheila. And uh, interviewed her. Sheila admitted to picking up Skylar, but stated that she had dropped her off at an hour, dropped her off an hour later. The FBI and the West Virginia State Police joined the search for Skylar on, on September 10th, 2012, and began interviewing Skylar's school friends. The break in the case came when Rachel admitted plotting with Sheila uh, to kill Skylar. The motivation Rachel gave for the murder was that they didn't like her and didn't want to be friends with her anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, horrible. P. 
David Neese stated that these two girls were among his daughter's best friends. But that right there, that right there, obviously they had a falling out <laughs> prior, you know, as stated. But, yeah. Uh, I just remember having falling outs with my friends and my parents being like, what do you mean you're not friends anymore we invited them you know over for dinner this weekend and their whole family and you're just like great you know i don't, I don't know i don't know if that ever happened to you hmm, no my friends yeah. were my only escape from my family so <laughs> i don't know they didn't yeah no Nothing i just like remember that. i was not friends with this guy we used to cart my this guy at my high school we used to carpool with all the time. And it took me forever to convince my parents that I was not friends with him anymore. And I didn't want to carpool with him anymore. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see that type of thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. I would just, I was too headstrong. I would just tell my dad, cause we actually, there was a similar situation, I guess, but I brought it about, we started giving this girl rides to school and then after a while, I was like, you know what? I, we don't gel. We're not going to give her rides anymore, Dad. So he was just like, okay. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that's only because he gave me rides to school in the morning, you know? Like, he just mm -hmm. went along with it because I was like, well, she's on the way. And, you know, it's nice to do. But uh, mm -hmm. after a while, I mean, we weren't really friends. She was a, a friend of somebody that I knew. And that wasn't even her friend. So that type of thing. But I was just trying to be nice. But then after a while, I was like, let's not do this anymore. <laughs> I prefer just being silent, angsty teenager in the car with you, dad. <laughs> My dad always complained. He's like, you ever say anything? I'm like, well, don't have anything to say right now. <laughs> it's nice just not to say anything. Yes, yeah. I'm going to a private school that was not my choice, so yeah, maybe that's why I'm not talking. Anyway, <laughs> it all worked out in the end, I guess. So, cheers, Dad. But <laughs> anyway, Anyways, sorry. way off topic. Niece, uh, David Neese thought that these two girls were amongst his daughter's best friends, and uh, he did state that Sheila had even helped the family. By distributing missing person missing persons file. Ugh, why can't I talk today? <laughs> uh, that Sheila had even helped the family by distributing missing person flyers. After her confession, Rachel led investigators to Skylar's body. So sorry, I just ate an ice cube. Um so yeah, that's just an unfortunate thing that, you know, tragedy has to happen before change is made in these situations, you know, and hopefully in the future we can have the foresight, you know, ahead of time that we don't need to, I don't know, have something bad happen for us to realize that there's flaws in the system that we have. Yes, it's true. It's but, true. I, yeah, I don't know how you guys felt like growing up, but I mostly felt safe. Like I knew there was bad things happening. I mean, mm -hmm. but 
I didn't, you know, like I said, I already told you about the, my dad talking to me about don't go with strangers and stuff. But yeah, outside of that, it didn't really think about it that much. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just was growing up in the eighties or maybe it was, um, you know, not going to say a different time. That's too easy. It's always yeah. a different time. <laughs> Anything can happen at any time, but you know, my parents were very like adamant that like, you don't like, I remember in preschool them being like, you don't go home with anybody that's not mom. Mom is the only one to come pick you up, you know? And then I remember my older sister came to pick me up and I like freaked out, you know, and wouldn't Mm -hmm. let her pick me up because that's what my parents said. And when my dad gets serious, he can be really intimidating, you know? And I know he drilled that into my three-year-old brain that (laughs) only mom can come pick me up, but really he shouldn't have done that. The school should have known this is the list of people who are allowed to pick up this right, child. Right, you know? right, like, right. Like, is it the three-year-old's responsibility not to get abducted? Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then my dad, like, every time he sees, like, a, a parent who's just letting their kids wander around, like, the parking lot or around, like, Walmart or whatever, he's like, I would never have let you – uh, yeah. do that. I'd never let you be on your own. And I, I was just thinking like, you know, yeah. yeah, that might not have been the case when I was like seven or eight, but when I was like between the ages of like 11 and 14, I just went out on my bike riding around the city right. all over town by yeah. myself, you know? know? And yeah, I guess like a 14 year old is old enough to be doing that, but like, yeah. don't say, don't act like you had an eye on me all the time. Right. You know? Right. And, yeah. Especially during those years. Yeah. Those yeah. are the years your parents, you're, I guess, supposed to distance yourself from. Yeah. Yeah. What I know of child development courses. That's all. <laughs> but I was like breaking into buildings, yeah. you know, and stuff. Like I remember like, I mean, I, I went into like hotels and like was going into like the places that the like employees were in like hotels in Monterey and stuff. Like <laughs> wow. I was like, on the roof. I was like breaking into the roof of the Marriott, you know, everyone did it. It's not. Yeah. That's awesome though. I, mean, I would love like, to do that stuff. I never got to do anything fun. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> anyway. I, would say I was fairly responsible because I was, I had chosen to be, but I also was incredibly lucky, yeah. like incredibly lucky. I have gotten into strangers' cars, like I have like done stuff that like I'm looking back and like, why did I do that? I didn't know this person. I didn't know the situation, how that was going to play out. You know, it's true. Like. Yeah. looking back on it. So I remember just like going into like the national park, like me and my two girlfriends going into the national park at like two in the morning just to walk around. Like luckily no one was there and our like park is like in the middle of the city, but like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah. Somebody could easily just snatch you up. Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know. Talking about this, it reminded me of um, when I when I worked um, doing spas and pools and stuff. Part of my training was learning about Virginia Graham Baker Law, which hmm. was enacted when uh, this girl Virginia Graham Baker was in a pool and she got sucked to the bottom. The pool drain, this drain suction was so powerful that it sucked her to the bottom and it completely held her down. Oh. And it basically, I don't want to get into any that much detail, but it basically sucked out part of her insides. It was, oh. and they were trying to pull her off and they finally got her off by breaking the drain. But basically this whole law was enacted to create, there's now an alternate part of suction. So if that suction gets closed, another part of the suction gets released in the pool filter oh. that's away from the pool. So that way the person could probably at least get out, you know? Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where that reminds me of you know, having Gruesome. crazy thing yeah. happen and having to enact a new law to, you know, update that. Yeah. Because people oh. are thinking of things that like, Oh, this isn't a big deal, but it oh. is a big deal. Cause apparently that happened to a lot of kids, you know, but it just mm. takes one popular one, I guess, for someone to be, paying attention to it yeah yeah Damn. Huh. i wonder what we'll be doing in the future where we're like i can't believe we did that back then or we <laughs> thought that God this was Patrick okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> i remember i remember when chat rooms opened up i was in my parents did not monitor any of my internet Man, right who was I any talking? of my internet <laughs> time whatsoever to this day, my parents still don't know how to use the internet. Oh, no. I have Definitely. never had my internet monitored from when I was 14 till now that I am a 30. Like, <laughs> and I remember being in chat rooms, like, talking to strangers. Like, luckily, like, nothing ever happened, and I didn't get groomed and abducted, you know. God but, for that. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, so you don't think about those kind of things. You don't even know that that danger exists, you know. Yeah. I didn't really. I when I by the time the internet started becoming you know, the thing to do, I was already um, you know, a young adult. I was in college, so like I didn't really, you know, there were I didn't even like you guys probably or sounds like you did way more than me I was not definitely online I only used like the computer the computer at that point was like a you know for school or like email <laughs> like I remember my friend and I would just sit in the computer lab at school and email each other like back and forth we're <laughs> like freshmen we had nothing else to do let's just email each other we're sitting right next the modern day equivalent of I guess texting next to texting, each other, yeah. maybe, but it was that was the. Uh, I did not chat with anybody, so so yeah, I could see, but I know my brother was because he's you know always been a big computer guy, and mm. yeah, he. I, I asked him once. I was like, "You were on all that stuff, weren't you?" I didn't even know what was happening, and he like laughs. He's like, "Yeah, I was like on you know, whatever. I don't know." He. I can't remember what name he said, but it was some primitive version of something, you know, prior to AOL. He was like, yeah, I was on that. I was like, you were? <laughs> it's like 13 or something. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. No, I didn't. Uh, 
I, I was not involved in that, but yeah, yeah, I can, I could see the, the definite danger involved in that. Oh, I mean, yeah. it didn't take long to, you know, once, I don't know, mid two thousands rolled around, then, uh, got onto my space and, and then I would say it was all downhill from there from that wow. point on. <laughs> with the uh whatever all the shit we're on nowadays right <laughs> yeah. all the different all the different uh programs but yeah that's like it honestly a child growing up today with access to all of that yeah I mean, yeah, I what? think about that too. Yeah, like kids are having like full on cell phones. That I mean, and a cell phone is like obvious, like more powerful than the computers that we were using back then, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a fucking computer in your hand, you know? So you can do pretty much anything with it, you know? Like, yeah. Like that, that, that's insane that, you know, a kid has that much power at, at, the, at their fingertips, you mm-hmm. know? It's just whether or not what they're using it for, I guess. I mean, you just got to be a vigilant parent, you know. That's true too, but I think that like it's it was a little easier to be a parent in in that sense when mm-hmm. you know. I mean, granted, you can have parental filters and stuff like that, you know, or not. Yeah, your fucking phone would be. I I mean I I I mean we're all not parents talking about how easy and how hard it is to be a parent here. True, I, I would say like you know safety you know, where we've gained so much in safety, more obstacles will always open up, you know, like we're not sending kids to work in factories because we have laws against that now, you know, we're not and like eighties parents, eighties parents were like, go outside. We'll see, like, come back home when the fucking, when the street lights come on, you know, but also there weren't like, there wasn't like a website connecting this child to eight yeah. million people. No, and no, but that's world, but that's you know? true. But that's so, true. Like, like where I'm saying is like what we've gained, you know, in knowledge, more obstacles are going to appear, you know. So you can't say like it's easier for a parent nowadays than it was back then, because oh, back no, then I'm there saying, was trust. I'm saying, I'm saying it was easier back then than it is now. But parents were just lazy i guess or what you well, know it's, well it's like they didn't have to worry about those types of things I yeah guess, you know it's like because because the only reason we know about these yeah. things is because of these stories happening you know yeah and them getting the attention that they need to you know like like the fucking uh football players being you know getting unconscious so often and then people are finally like okay well maybe we should not be doing that you know now there yeah. now there's a lot of restrictions in football you know now there's like in a lot of cases, they don't do the kickoff at all, and especially in youth football, because that's when the most injuries happen because they're literally running just team to team, just boom, mm. you know? Uh, it's yeah, like one yeah. of the only yeah. times where they're running full speed into each other. So most of the times they don't do that. It's only in professional football, which is still kind of risky, you know? But at least it's because of these things happening that they make these rules. So I think that's, I mean, I feel mm. like that's the point of these stories, you know, I guess, but. Yeah, mm. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was a good That's episode. That's a really good episode. Yeah. Really yeah. Glad. So, uh, till next time. Next week's gonna be our Halloween episode. Yay. Halloween, Halloweenies. <laughs>
All right. So this has been Hollywood. Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> so this has been my weird little podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for being weird with us. And uh, please email us at insert email here. <laughs> and uh, uh, follow us on platforms that we will establish in the future. And uh, <laughs> listen to us in uh, next week's episode. Yeah. Stay spooky. Woo! Yeah.